as people, God designed us to be better when we work together. This month, we've been talking a lot about our small groups and how we can be part of a small group and how we are better when we work together in our small groups. During the series, it's been mostly just about the life group and focusing really on our church and in our group. We're also going to focus outside of our small group. There's a danger in church that we get inwardly focused, and that doesn't make for a healthy church. You, you have to be outwardly focused as well, not just inwardly focused. There's a TV series called House Hunters. I, I don't claim to watch it a lot. I've seen it a couple times, but I read an article about it. It was a very interesting article because they said when people go hunting for houses, they are interested on the show, well, what kind of granite countertops are there in the house? Is there a jacuzzi tub in the bathroom? Um, do they have... You know, what kind of hardwood floor is there? What kind of appliances are there? How old is the house? Is there a, a shop in the garage for my tools? What kind of curb appeal does it have? And that's the focus on the house. But the article said that rarely, if ever, do the house hunters say, who are my neighbors? But if you have bought a house or, or have invested an apartment, sooner or later, it is an issue. You think about, oh, these are my neighbors. And uh, you can have a good living experience or you can have a bad living experience based upon your neighbors. And that's where we're going to go today. We're going to be talking about our neighbors and thinking about being outwardly focused. It, you have it in your notes there, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. This is classic Jesus. This is a story of the Good Samaritan, and we've all heard about the Good Samaritan. It's actually become a term in our society when somebody does a good act for somebody, especially somebody they don't know, they say they were a Good Samaritan. So let's go to the passage and let's read what Jesus had to say about the Good Samaritan. In this story... He gives us the main thing. You've heard us say before, and you've heard others say, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And so what he tells us here is the main thing. The main thing is love God and then love your neighbor as yourself. That's the main thing. So if we had to distill it, if we had to boil it down, if we had to give you the bottom line, here Jesus said, this is the bottom line. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love God. And then number two, Love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you do this, he said, you will live. You will have a life. Life will be good. Life will be full. You will have a life. If you don't do it, your life isn't so full. It's not so good. So let's go to Luke chapter 10, and we'll read the scriptures there. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus. He's a lawyer. By asking this question, teacher, what must I do to receive eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? What's your read on it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live! Exclamation mark. The man wanted to justify his actions. Now maybe underline that, justify his actions. We'll come back to that. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Because that would make a huge difference. Because there's some people I want to like, and honestly, there's some people I don't want to like. So if you could just qualify who my neighbor is, then I could maybe not like certain people and like other people. So he's not much different than us today. There's human nature. Who is my neighbor? So the Lord, he changes things here. Rather than give the lawyer a direct answer, he tells a parable, and really he's challenging him with this question Are you a neighbor? Not so much, who is my neighbor? The question this morning is, are you a good neighbor? That's the question for me. Am I a good neighbor? Am I a neighbor? So here's the story. 
Jesus replied with an illustration. A Jewish man was traveling on a road from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. If you've been to Israel, if you've been to that land, you know the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. You go downhill pretty steep. It's about a drop of 1,700 feet, and you go downhill, and it's really rugged. The road is very narrow. There's no trees. It's kind of arid, very desert-like, and there's a lot of... uh, limestone caves in the hills, easy place for people to hide and for bandits to be. And uh, as you go down that road, you could, I traveled that road once, and I could really picture this story and see that it would have been a dangerous road to travel by yourself. So here's this guy, he's going down this road, and he's attacked by bandits. They strip him of his clothes and money, and they beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. So he's beside the road, it's hot, Palestinian sun, Flies buzzing around, he's bleeding, he's hurting. Get the picture in your mind. And a Jewish priest comes along. So there he is, half dead. He's not unconscious. He's, he's able to open up his eyes and he sees this Jewish priest come by. I'm sure he would have thought, oh, finally, here's a man who's going to help me. But it says that he saw the man lying there. He crossed to the other side of the road and he passed him by. Temple assistant walked over, another guy, and he looked at him lying there. And he also passed on the other side. So two people have passed him by. Then a Samaritan comes along, a despised Samaritan, it says. Why was he despised? Because the Jews despised the Samaritans. The Samaritans despised the Jews. You had this thing called ethnic tension between these two groups. The Jews said, you know, you guys don't even qualify for heaven. You don't qualify to vote. You don't qualify for this or that. We won't even talk to you in public. And it was the same way with the Samaritans towards the Jews. And so I'm sure the guy lying there on the side of the road when he saw these, the priest and the temple assistant go by, he goes, here's my answer. But then he sees the Samaritan. He's probably thinking, I'm the last guy. This guy's going to want to help. But as the Lord says here, the despised Samaritan comes along. And when he saw the man, he felt deep pity. Maybe underlying that deep pity. He felt compassion. You know, in the scripture it said Jesus was moved by compassion and he healed the sick. Moved by compassion and he did this. Moved by compassion. We typically don't help our neighbor unless we're moved by compassion. And that's a really important point for our message today. You have to be moved by compassion. Passion, this is a love that God puts in your heart for people that normally you wouldn't love. And that's, if you don't get this point, you won't get the rest of the message. You have to have this compassion for others in order to reach out to them. Now, here's the good news is you can download that compassion. The Bible says He pours His love into our hearts. I don't know what the last app you downloaded was, but you probably downloaded an app in this last little while. And if you've downloaded an app, you notice every once in a while you have to update the app. You get the latest version and, and it gets refreshed and you have to get this, keep this app updated. Well, you can download God's love. And every day you can get a fresh download of God's love. His love is poured into our heart. And we need that love in our heart if we're going to love our neighbor. He was moved by compassion. We too will love our neighbor when we're moved with compassion. So he kneels down beside him. The Samaritan soothed his wounds with medicine and bandaged them. So he takes out his first aid kit and he gets this guy all bandaged up. He's a paramedic, I guess, as well, Pastor Dan. He was a paramedic. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn. So he's walking instead of riding his donkey where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two pieces of silver, told him to take care of the man, 
If his bill runs higher than that, he said, I'll pay the difference the next time I'm here. So basically, he gives the hotel owner his credit card and said, take care of this guy. And away he goes. This is a story of the Good Samaritan. Remember what the lawyer asked. He said, who is my neighbor? He wanted to justify himself. This past week, Cheryl and I were in New York. We were at a conference there with a, a pastor by the name of Tim Keller. He has a great church in the heart of New York, very similar to our church in a high-rise community. And so we went there to learn and to study and to uh, get best practices from what they're doing there. And uh, at this conference, they had a pastor from Denver get up to speak in a breakout session. I went to this breakout session. And, uh, you know, sometimes breakout sessions are kind of like a, a surprise package. You're never quite sure what you're going to get. But it was an amazing, amazing breakout session. And these two pastors got up and talked. They're both from a, a city uh, outside of Denver. And they were sharing how 20 pastors got together and they went to meet the mayor. And they asked the mayor, said, Mayor, what could we do as churches to really serve our city better? What would you, what would you like us to do? And so they're sitting around the table, and the mayor started saying, you know, we have needs with the homeless, we have needs with the lonely, we have elderly that are shut in, we have needs for drug abuse in our city. They started thinking about, like our city, all these different needs. But then the mayor paused for a while, and he's just kind of, how do I put this into one sentence? And so here's what the mayor said. He said, the majority of the issues that our community faces would be eliminated or drastically reduced if we could just figure out a way to become a community of great neighbors. Then he went on to say, you know, in his opinion, government programs aren't always the most effective way to address social issues. Relationships are more effective than programs because they're organic and they're ongoing. And they kind of wrapped that up. Now, here you got all these pastors, and they leave that meeting with the mayor. And this pastor was speaking. He said, I had an aha moment as we got back to our cars. He, he's, he says, wait a minute. I don't know if you guys got this, but it just hit me. The mayor is asking us to do what Jesus said we must do. Maybe Jesus was brilliant. <laughs> the mayor just said, if we could figure out a way that people would just be a good neighbor we could get rid of a lot of the issues in our community. Now, you know what? It's so simple that we could miss it. So these guys went back and said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Maybe, just maybe, this commandment means we're actually supposed to be and love our actual literal neighbors. What would happen if we just did that in our city? So they said, okay, we're going to give you a test today. So we were there in the room. Now, I hate to admit this. I'm ashamed to admit this. But I'm going to be transparent with you today. I failed the test miserably. I got some work to do. So <laughs> but here was the test. The test was write down the names of the eight people that live closest to you. Write down one thing that you know about them on the surface. They drive this kind of car, they have a dog or whatever, and then write one thing that would really show that you've had a deep conversation with them. I couldn't do it. I couldn't even write down the eight names of the people that live closest to me. I could write down eight names of people that live in our building, but not eight people that live closest to me. And so I failed the test. And I was convicted. I said, God... I'm not doing the great commandment. If this is the main thing, to love my neighbor as I love myself, 
I have not yet even found out the names. And I have lots of excuses. I live in a high rise. It's hard to know the people. They move. They this and that. I have all these excuses. But there's no room for excuses. God said, this is the main thing. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we try to do what the lawyer did. We try to justify ourselves. For every mile of road, remember there's two miles of ditch. On the one side of the ditch is a culture similar to what this lawyer lived in. He lived in his little Jewish community, his borough, his hood. He lived there. And he probably knew those neighbors really good. And so he would say, well, I want to know these neighbors, but I don't want to know the people on the other side of town because there's tension between us. So I want to be justified just to love the people in my little community. We don't have as much as that as we used to, but remember the days where you had an Italian community or you had a Chinese community or you had a German community or you had a Dutch community, you had a Mennonite community based on your or, or an Orthodox community or you had a Persian community and you just lived in your little neighborhood and you knew those neighbors good, but you didn't know other neighbors and so you say, but I know my neighbors and so I really don't want to know those neighbors and so you would, you would justify it that way like he would. That is not where we're going this morning. We're going more the other direction where... We would say, you know what, Uh, I think the statement to love your neighbors yourself is a metaphor. It's it's just a metaphor. A metaphor, by definition, uh, let me find it if I can find it for you. I wrote it down because uh, maybe I can't find it. Oh, here it is. It's a figure of speech in which a phrase is applied to an action to which it is not literally applicable. It's a phrase. It doesn't literally apply to me. So when I say, love my neighbor, well, that could mean I could love the person on the street or I could meet somebody else, but it doesn't literally mean my neighbor, does it? So where I'm going this morning is, what would happen if we literally took this commandment and we literally loved and cared for our neighbor? That's what they did there in that city. They said, we will take the challenge. And so they went to other churches and other pastors, and they said, here's what we're going to do. We are literally going to get to know and love our neighbors. We will know the people that live closest to us, and we're going to serve them. Something amazing happened about a year later. The mayor's assistant called and said to one of the pastors, you might be interested in knowing this, but since you started to do this, we've seen some changes. We have certain measurables at the city. And one of the things we measure is how many elderly we have to go and shovel their walks for. Or how many we have to, because sh- they're shut in in the wintertime, we've got to move the snow on the driveway. They said, this year, for the first time in history, we have had nobody call for it. Just maybe, because you guys are loving your neighbors, something's happening in our city. Because they literally love their neighbor. What happens if we don't love our neighbor? Let's just by contrast, what happens if we don't? Number one is loneliness and isolation. What's one of the biggest needs in our city? According to that study that Vancouver Foundation did, they said it's loneliness, isolation in our city. If we don't love our neighbors, that's a consequence. Secondly, fear comes in if we don't love our neighbors. Because anything we don't know can be scary to us. We have a neighbor in our building, and uh, he... He's very <laughs> hard to describe, but I, 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 I'm still getting to know him. And he's, he's, he kind of looks like a pit bull, you know. He's just really stocky, lots of tattoos, and he looks like he's never had a good day in his life. You know, he's just, 
That's, that was my perception, okay? That's not the way it is, but that was my perception. And so I would, I would just, I, you know, if he didn't want to talk to me, that was fine because I really didn't want to enter into a conversation with him. I'm ashamed to admit some of this stuff, but that was, that's the truth. And, and so he'd get on the elevator, and he'd stand there like this. And, and then one day he gets on the elevator, and he's got this roasting pan with turkey in it. I go, this is so strange. He's got a, this old guy, he's got this turkey. And it smells, just smells like turkey. I said, so I couldn't resist. Now I go, say, Tur- you got turkey. You, you're, what's happening? He said, oh, I roasted a turkey. I said, this guy's not gruff. He's actually pretty nice. I, I'm roasting a turkey. He says, you roasted a turkey. And, and he hangs out with a bunch of drug dealers in our building. So, so I'm just like, <laughs> guy hangs out with drug dealers. And he's, he said, I roasted a turkey for my friends. I go, this guy might be pretty normal after all. And, and so it was because, again, I made no effort, bad on me, no effort to even get his name, to talk to him, to engage him. Because why? Because there was this fear. If, oh, if we don't engage, see, well, I, I live in my neighborhood. I'm not sure I want to get to know my neighbors. I, I just do not get to know my neighbors. But maybe... Just maybe God knew you're supposed to live where you live. Maybe he knew you'd be the person best suited to talk to your neighbors. I think God might have had it planned the whole time along that you're the best person to reach out to your literal physical neighbors. Again, if we change it into a metaphor that everybody is our neighbor so broad, we actually don't stop and love our neighbors. What's going to change our city? One of the things that will change our city if we just keep the main thing the main thing and literally love and get to know our actual neighbors. But pastor, you don't understand. They, they speak another language. And they, they have different food. Man, it smells weird. And I don't know if I even want to, I don't even want to smell like their place if I go over there. We have issues. We need to get over that. Or maybe they have a different type of smell. We have a smell that goes out our balcony. We have a certain smell that permeates, and it's a, it's a, a BC bud. And I think, okay, <laughs> close the window, put on the fan, hope it goes away. And, I, you know, on my first reaction is, I don't even want to get to know these people. Man, this is really good. You need to pray for your pastor, okay, because <laughs> God's dealing with me. But God said, no, these are, I want you to be a good neighbor to them. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. You say, well, it might be kind of messy. It might be kind of messy. God's not, he doesn't expect you to change. Just you be you. And, you know, you're not responsible for people. You're responsible to people. There's a difference. I'm responsible to love you. I'm responsible to care. I'm responsible to encourage, but I'm not responsible for your finances. I'm not responsible for your decisions. I'm just responsible to you. There's a difference. That empowers me to love my neighbor. This good Samaritan, you know, he had certain boundaries because when he took the man to the hotel and he set him there, he says, you know what? Stay here, dude. You're going to be okay. I paid for your bill and I'll be back in a couple days. Somebody could argue the case, well, if you really cared for that person, you should have stayed there, you should have hired a nurse, you should have done so much more, but he did what he could do, and the rest was up to the, up to the guy to get better. He was responsible to him, he wasn't responsible for him. And the same thing with our neighbors. Sometimes like, well, does that mean? No, you just, you have your own set of 
boundaries and guidelines. Boundaries define who you are, just like our Canadian border defines who, our, who Canada is. So we have boundaries, and you still love your neighbor with your boundaries. Boy, I am way off track here. Anyhow, what happens when we, when we don't, just by contrast, loneliness, fear, misunderstanding? We don't get to know the people who live next to us. It's easy to get the wrong idea about them. I got to know our neighbor in Surrey when we lived there. And, you know, I, again, man, this is just confession Sunday for your pastor. I had, God's going to work in my life. And uh, I, we moved in this house, and I'm out one day mowing my lawn, and my neighbor's outside working on his lawn. And he's wearing a long black robe, like long sleeves, collar, long black robe. And he's got a cross that's literally this big. I go like, okay, where's the jeans? Like, we're mowing our lawn, you know? And, and I just, I did not understand him. And I said, okay, this is really strange. I, I, and I, I hate to admit it, but I didn't even know as a pastor what faith he was. He was an Egyptian Coptic priest. And I, since then, I've learned, to, learned a lot about them. I've gone to Egypt. I've been to their services. And they have so much to offer the body of Christ. I, I love our Coptic brothers. But at that time, I was very, I didn't understand it. And so I was just, I, I backed away because it was so different from me. I thought, this is too strange. But God dealt with me. And I got to know Father Basenti. And we became friends, Father Basenti. But it, I first had to get past my misunderstanding of him. And we had meals together. We shared. They came to our house. We went to their house. But I had to get past my misunderstanding. One day, his wife showed up at our door. He was gone, and she was bent over, incredible pain. And she said, my back is seized up. Can I, could you help me? And Cheryl brought her into the house. We prayed for her. And that evening, God supernaturally healed her back. And she, she said, wow. It was just so powerful when we were able to pray with our neighbor. So, by contrast, if we don't love our neighbor, these things set in loneliness, fear, misunderstandings. What destroys relationships? Okay, one thing that destroys them is selfishness. And again, the lawyer was selfish because he wanted to justify himself. And when we're selfish, we don't love our neighbors because it's all about us. And that's what starts quarrels, neighborhood arguments, and so forth. And James tells us this in James 4. Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and you fight for it deep inside yourself. The reason you're not getting along, whether it be in your home, your life group, or even your neighborhood, is because you're selfish, is basically what he's saying. The antidote for that is Philippians 2, 4. Look out for one another's interests, not just your own. Look out for somebody else. This is... In your neighborhood, you're looking out for somebody's garage door. The garage door is open, so you, you call them say, hey, your garage door is open. Or you care for somebody's pet while they're gone. Or you, you help them when, they have, uh, when they're in the hospital. You make a meal for them. Folks, I, this message today is so simple, but it's so powerful. And I think, and I'm, I'm just speaking to our church. I'm not going to speak for other churches. I'm going to speak about this pastor, about us. I think there's a thing that God's calling us to do. Yes, we must have life groups. Yes, we need to be part of a church community. But God is also asking us to literally get to know and love our neighbors. That is a non-negotiable. 
That is the main thing. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And don't buy into some loophole, well, I love my neighbor, I gave to Union Gospel Mission, or I love that person, or I helped somebody on the street, so I've done my duty. I'm saying today, no, we haven't done our duty with that. We literally need to know our neighbors and to care for them. If we do that as churches and as our church, we can really help bring healing to our city. All right. Uh, Number two, what else destroys relationships is fear. We talked about that. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of human opinion disables. Fearing what people will think. The antidote, love. 1 John 4, 18. Love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. Again, we need that download of love, that compassion in order to get rid of the fears. This is a certain unknown. You could be rejected. They could say... Thanks for coming by and wanted to say hi, but we're okay. We really don't want to get to know you. That could happen. And what do you do with that? You just pray for them and go on. Look at, there's a verse I have for you here in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 16. Now, who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? We should be eager to do good. Amen? We should, we should be wanting to do good with our neighbors. But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. Now, underline this part. So don't be afraid and don't worry. Don't be afraid. Don't worry. Do what's good. Leave the rest up to God. You must worship Christ as Lord of your life. But if you're asked, if you're asked, you know one thing that turns off neighbors if we're believers and they're not believers, if we come around with our our Bible and we, we call it the Bible thumpers, you know, I am here, I live next door, and I am here to preach to you. They're like, oh, no thanks, and see you later type thing. This says, if you're asked. So the way you've lived, the way you've conducted your life, it just it causes them to get hungry. What's different about you? In this chapter, Luke chapter 10, I won't go there now this morning, but it's good to read earlier. Jesus had sent out the disciples. He said, go to somebody's home, and here's the recipe. Go to their home, have a meal with them, and listen It's important just to listen and then find out where they're hurting. It says heal the sick, pray for them, maybe a divorce. They may literally be sick. Maybe their kids are on drugs or whatever their need is, pray for their need. And then lastly, he says, talk about the kingdom. Sometimes we get it all backwards. We're we're so enthusiastic about sharing our faith, which is good, but they're not ready for it. This verse says when they ask, just when they ask, tell them. And then they're ready to receive. So don't worry. Don't fear. Live out your life. And when they ask, share with them. And then it says here, but you, you must do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak evil against you, they'll be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. So that's the second thing that destroys it, fear. The third thing is racial or cultural tension. Now, we live in a city. Even just look around the room here today, there's probably in this room, this auditorium, 50 different nations represented. And it's possible to have ethnic tension here. Say, well, I don't want to get to know my neighbor because, you know what, they're... They're a different race. They're a different color. They're a different, you know, they different social economic status than I am or whatever. You know, none of that will work with God. So build a bridge and get over it. 
You are required to love your neighbor. But I'm older. They're younger. Build a bridge. They're a different country. I don't speak their language. Build a bridge. Find a way. Build a bridge. Get over it. And go meet your neighbor and get to talk to him. That excuse will not work with God. One day we will stand before him and he'll ask us, what did you do with what I asked you to do? What did he ask us to do? Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the main thing. And sometimes he tells this story because there is great tension between the Samaritans and the Jews. And he's saying, this Samaritan is known as the good Samaritan because he didn't let tension between different cultures stop him from helping that person on the road. And I don't think we should let tension stop us. They may, have a, they may have different food. They may have a different language. They may be living a different lifestyle, even an alternate lifestyle. None of that is to allow us or should stop us from going there and saying, hey, finding a way. Now, I think the key to all of this is you start to pray for your neighbor because I think God can supernaturally set it up so you can talk to them. You don't have to do this on your own. You don't have to do this in, in, in the flesh, so to speak. You say, God, set me up. Maybe it's an elevator ride or maybe it's they're working on their car or they need some help here, whatever. Just this is, make this a fun project. Don't make it a heavy. Just make it a fun project. Say, okay, God, show me how to do this because I want to do this. I want to love my neighbor, so set me up. I dare you. I double dog dare you to pray this prayer. Say, God, set me up. I want to love my neighbor. And I think he would set us up that we could actually get to know all of our neighbors. Just take the eight people that live closest to you, whether it be in a, maybe you're in a cul-de-sac or maybe you're in an apartment or maybe you're in a condo somewhere. Maybe you live out in the country, but wherever you live, just say, God, set me up to love the eight people that are closest to me, no matter what tension might be there because of our differences. Number five or number four, pride keeps us from that. You know, it says pride in Proverbs 16, 18 will destroy a person. Pride stinks. Don't you agree? Arrogance. I've had to repent of that. Pride. Humility. Humility builds relationships. Pride destroys relationships. Proverbs 13.10, pride leads to arguments. Those who take advice are wise. And sometimes to build relationships, we have to be willing to receive. Willing to receive help fixing my car. Willing to receive help when I'm out of town. Can you check on my mail? Asking that. But if you're too, oh, I would never ask them that, that doesn't build relationships. So pride can destroy relationships. If we're always competitive, we're always comparing. Oh, I got my new Lexus. <laughs> Wait till they see my new Lexus, the neighbors. That'll build relationships. <laughs> yeah, ooh. Wait till they see this. I got my new lawnmower, zoom, zoom, you know. Yeah, that's, that'll, that'll work. When you're stubborn, you can't say sorry. You can't, you know what, I missed it. I, I, I made a mistake here. I'm sorry. Pride will, will break relationships, whether it be with our neighbors or whether it be with, even with our, our own family and friends. If we can't apologize, if we are full of pride, it really destroys relationships. And then the last thing that will destroy relationships is deception. God only anoints the truth. People, they're not looking for us to be perfect. They're not looking for this perfect Christian to live next to them. They just want somebody that's authentic, somebody that's real. And if we're authentic, if we're real, then 
they're very interested in it. You know, if you go to your neighbor and you say, well, I, I want to build a neighbor relationship, so I'm going to go ask for a cup of sugar, but you got a bag of sugar in your house, they're going to smell that. That's not real. Don't, don't fake it. Just be real. And whatever you do, have an authentic relationship with your neighbor. And that includes also being authentic with the way that we share our faith. In the book by Eric Swanson, there's a book called To Transform a City, and they said there's a difference between ulterior versus the ultimate, describing motivations for building relationships. He said ulterior means something that is intentionally kept concealed. An ulterior motive is usually manipulative. It's when we do or say one thing, but in the open, we intend or mean something else in private. We have an ulterior motive. Now, understand me carefully today. I just, I don't want to take a lot of time on this, but when I love my neighbor, ultimately, yes, I want to see that neighbor come to faith in Christ. That's the ultimate goal. But it's not my ulterior motive. In other words, I will love my neighbor if he never comes to church, if he never opens the Bible, I will still love my neighbor. I'll love my neighbor. He says, I don't, I'm not interested in, quote, unquote, your religion. I'm not interested. I will still love my neighbor because the Bible just says, love your neighbor as yourself. If he comes, great. That would be fantastic. But if he doesn't, I, doesn't, I still love my neighbor. I still care about him. I still serve him. I'm still living in community with him. I think that's important because sometimes people have reached out to their neighbor, and when that neighbor said, you know, I'm not really interested in your Christian lifestyle, they ditch him. That's not loving your neighbor. Loving your neighbors, I love you no matter what. I care about my neighbor no matter what. If we did that in our city, we really would have a different city.